everyone, you're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Maggie Winter, the CEO and co-founder of AIR. All year round is what it stands for. Today, we're going to talk about how she learned the ropes from the incredible Nikki Drexler, J. Crew, to then launching her own company and the struggles and successes and hockey sticks that came along the way. Take a listen. Welcome to the podcast, Maggie. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. So I get your catalogs. I own your products. I want whoever's butt you're always using in your (laughs) jeans. Um, Do you want to know a secret? I can tell you whose butt that is. Please tell me whose ass that is because I I will train forever with leg lifts and I don't think I'll ever get that ass. It's my co-founder, Max. Well, Max has a really beautiful butt. She does. She's so genetically blessed. It, she, her, her mom's got a great bum and her granny's got a great bum. Her granny is one of our favorite models to shoot at air. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. I love that you're weaving in women of all ages. I love that you get the catalogs. You know, every time I get your catalog, I go back to my team. I'm like, why can't we do a fucking catalog? Oh my gosh, Rebecca, they are so much fun. I think of them as like, I don't know if when you were a creative teen, you were like making zines at home or making collages, but it just feels like that, a little art project. Like I said, oftentimes I'm just shooting my co-founder. And if I'm not shooting her, she's standing right beside me. We go on like a road trip and do a little shoot and then write the copy the next week. And then we send it out to the printer. And it, it is a really, people would probably be surprised to know how much of a one-man show it is. Well, I was surprised. I think I was with Jack at an event, and when she said how big your team was, I was like, holy cow, maybe it's grown since then because this was pre-pandemic. But I was like, how do you guys do all this and have this seemingly larger you know, bark than bite in, in terms of team size? So I would love to get into that too. We do have a very small team. It's probably one of the more unconventional things about AIR. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily something a customer would know. You wouldn't know it if you were maybe scrolling through our Instagram, but, um, we are a really small team. That's true. What were you doing before you co-founded your company? My background was always in retail. I, my first job out of college was working at J crew at the corporate headquarters in New York. And I was so lucky to get a job there straight out of college. I worked for the outlet department. And um, the, the luckiest thing about the job was probably that my desk happened to be the first desk off of the CEO's area. He didn't have an office. He just had like a giant desk. This was Mickey, and right? It was Mickey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Mickey is a retail legend. He is the merchant prince, total icon. And I was at J. Crew for about eight years. And for for half of that time, for the first four years, I sat right off of Mickey's desk. And I am a total nosy snoop. And I would just kind of listen to him conducting business all day long. And it was so cool because in addition to the education I was getting as a merchant from my team and my bosses, um, I was also hearing Mickey you know, operating the whole company. And and he would call different teams into his office and it might be a question of what should the catalog be or show me bestsellers. What's, we're talking about leases or real estate. Um, 
or PR, and I could just kind of hear his him narrate his thought process. That was the coolest thing ever. And he also had a very loud intercom. <laughs> the intercom is legendary. And of course, prior to um, turning around J. Crew, Mickey had been the big builder behind The Gap and Old Navy, Banana Republic. And so, so many people in our industry have worked for Mickey over the decades. And whether it was at one company or another, the management style, I think, was pretty much the same. He's a very high touch um, leader. And he, no details too small. He spent so much time in stores. He, you would hear what he was thinking, seeing in a real time. And um, it was, it was totally normal. I didn't know any better. It was my first job. So having the CEO, um, you know, in your ear all the time felt totally normal. And from that experience, what made you go, okay, good. I'm going to launch a company. Oh, I wish I had been that intentional about it. <laughs> I can't claim, can't claim that was the plan. What happened was I went on a really, a really interesting job interview. I got a really cool job offer. I, I didn't even think of it as an interview. I went to meet um, this guy for coffee before work one morning. Our, we had a, a mutual friend who had been trying to connect us, and he. Um, was a really this really charismatic, interesting guy. He co-founded Bonobos, and he's an investor and an entrepreneur. Which, by the way, were two words like not in my vocabulary at all in 2012. This is Andy or someone. This else? is Andy exactly. Okay. okay. And, and Andy um, is a really charismatic founder. He has like that classic dynamic charisma. And I met him for coffee one day before work. And he told me that he was interested in leveraging all of his company's internal resources to create a new brand. Bonobos had been in business, I believe at that point for five or six years. And he was interested in taking everything that he had learned about building brands online and introducing a, a new brand to a new audience. And so he basically said, I'm looking for someone with a story to tell. And I said, great, I've got a story. And that was it? That was like, okay, good. Let me just give you a, t a ton of money and here we go? Yeah, that's exactly how it happened. No, <laughs> no, he said, great, next Wednesday, come show me the story. And so, Rebecca, I went and made a scrapbook. Like, like I went to Blick and I got got a blank scrapbook. And um, not unlike the catalogs I just told you about us making, I like got out my glue stick and made a collage and put in all kinds of imagery. Each page was dedicated to one classic item. So on the page about a perfect denim shirt. I think I had like, you know, a photograph of Peter Beard and I had um, on the, the, the striped crew neck t-shirt page, I had an Elizabeth Payton painting and I just put together this like collage of classic white t-shirt, crisp white uh, button down, um, you know, inky indigo jeans. Here's kind of the palette. And I presented Andy, not a, not a pitch deck, but a, a scrapbook. And he thought, okay. And he, he, he took a chance and he really, um, I would say he invested in me. And that was the beginning of what became AIR. So in the early days of AIR, what, what did he manage or resources did he, did he offload and what did you focus on? And then when did you bring Jack in? My focus was really on brand and product. 
And, and that was as a person who came from a merchandising background, I felt really confident in the product realm. Brand was something I was always really curious to get into. Um, I remember going to my boss when I was like six months into my job at J. Crew and saying, okay, this has been great. I'd love to learn about brand now. And she was like, you're on the merchandising team, go back to your desk. Um, that just wasn't how it worked at a big company, which of course I understand now, but I was naive and I didn't know. And and brand was something I was really interested in becoming more involved in and, and shaping and learning more about. The things that I didn't really touch were operations and finance. And, and because we hadn't launched yet, marketing, that was something that I, I didn't have experience in. And then over the next year, I built a team inside Bonobos. And Andy was so generous about allowing access. So I got to see how this company was scaling. That was, like I said, five or six years ahead and had tremendous resources, terrific talent, really great people worked there. And I got to like be a fly on the wall at this company that was doing things so differently than the company I had come from. And and in my time there, um, I kind of got like my, you know, graduate degree. If, if, if J. Crew was like my college, you know, retail college, I got my, my graduate degree at Bonobos. I got to learn how a, a company ran online. And what happened was in our second year in business, Andy came to me and he said, look, we've decided we're going to spin we're going to, we're, we're, well, he said, we're, we decided we're not going to fund air anymore. But what we can do is if you're able to finance the company, we can spin it out. And I didn't know what any of that meant. And I thought, okay, great. That's what I want to do because I don't want to go away. I don't want to close it down. There's so much I could see what the brand was going to become. And that turned into a really challenging, <laughs> a really challenging season of life, probably the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, I mean, so you leave J. Crew where you had a, I'm, I'm sure, like a regular paycheck. Yes. You're now at Air. He's funding it. Were you got? Was there um, an equity split that he took in order to do this? That then, when he said we're going to spin you out, you got back. That's right. Well, what happened was when we came, went to when we uh, worked at Bonobos, we were employees of Bonobos. There were, Air was a team within the company, but it wasn't its own entity. So it would just be like if the marketing team at a company spun out and became its own company. So we had to incorporate, form a company, set up a bank account, um, finance all of our product that was on order and find uh, office space and build an identical website because we were running on Bonobos infrastructure and we had to negotiate the separation of assets and IP and and everything down to office equipment. What do we take with us? What's it worth? How do we figure it out? And then what we came to was an agreement of, okay, uh, in exchange for having incubated us, Bonobos will retain a percentage of the company, uh, the newly formed company. And and then we, you know, I did a, a seed round um, and and Andy had given me a deadline. I had three months to do these things, all these things. So to put together a seed round, and then in the process of of doing our seed, which was about a million dollar round, um, we I also met who ended up being our Series A investor, and we did that a few months later. We closed that round a few months later. 
And did you know how to do any of this? Oh my gosh, no, none of it, none of it. <laughs> I did not take one. I had, still haven't honestly taken one business class. I studied English and art history and film as a student. And um, in those film classes, one of the things they teach you how to do is to storyboard or to how to, uh, you know, break apart a still, a scene. And that's what I used to make my first pitch deck. Like I drew out the each page of the deck by hand in a box, the way you would storyboard a short film or something. And since then, I've learned how to make decks and I've learned how to talk to investors and become really conversational about my business. But going in, I didn't know any of the terminology and the business also wasn't prepared to go, you know, to go take it to a marketplace of investors. It was nascent. We were a couple of years in, we had no idea that we were going to be asking for outside investment, no idea. And so I was completely unprepared. It was the steepest learning curve of all time. Oh my gosh. So he gives you three months. Yeah. Yep. And, and all while running the business, it was our fourth quarter of our second year and we were a growing business. So the irony, right. Is that like you, you, you know, you have, <laughs> when you need it the most, when you need help the most is usually when you know the least. And, yeah. and so that, that experience of, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I don't know. I need so much help. Um, it really was trial by fire. And what what was the outcome of this? The outcome is that we we did it all. We made I made by the way so many mistakes in the process. Like, but all those things happened. The whole checklist we got um, we got it done. I I I uh, spun the company out, financed it. We got offices. We built a separate website. We didn't miss a day of business. Air.com wasn't down for a single day. Wow. And, and from then on, we grew. Um, and, and it took years. It took years for us to have that breakout moment. I remember all the investors that I pitched to, all they want to see is the hockey stick graph. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, I'm sure you're familiar we with that talk term. About that fucking sick all day long. Yes. And by the way, when it finally happens, you don't need it. <laughs> that's when you don't need that's when you don't need the investment. And so finding people, whether it's people to join your team or to invest in your business before the hockey stick, the long, you know, the handle of the hockey stick has shown up on the graph before that it's really hard. It's really, yep. really difficult. And yep. It's difficult as an outsider, mm -hmm. right? Like a lot of industries are very much based on your network. I had no network in finance. So you get the hockey stick several years later. Yes. Uh, I, about five um, years later. To be honest. Okay. So how did you, how did you exist for five years? Uh, was it just on the, on the series A and seed round plus the income that you were generating? And, and at some point were you like, is this ever going to go? Yes, that is about what we did. When that 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 Series A round is the biggest round we have raised. We haven't raised a lot of money. Um, we put about six million dollars of outside capital into the company to date. And um, in the process of fundraising, I've done it a few times. I I, I hated it. I I realized my best value add to the company is really as an operator, 
and this is a distraction from that. So financing becomes your full-time job. I, I, like I said, I don't have a finance background. And I wanted to get back to running the business. And it became crystal clear to me three years after we'd spun out that the best place for us to, to grow our business was going to be from our relationship with our customers, from our product. And that really needed to be the focus. We couldn't focus on external resources for financing. I'm glad that you say that because, again, I feel like so many women are tempted to get into the money raising business and then keep raising and keep raising and keep raising. And then and then uh, that becomes the focus. I know that every time we raised, you know, seeing my brother go completely off task and everything that goes along with it was just like, oh, my God, imagine how much more business we would have done if he hadn't gone off task, you know? That is the absolute truth. It really depends too on like what your, you know, what your flow state is. For some people, that is their gift. They're so good at it and that is their flow state and going out and pitching the business to investors and, you know, being plugged into that community is like, you know, supercharges them. That is not the case for me. I love product. I love our customers. I love brand. And that's the stuff that gets me excited. Um, and it's the best place for me to spend my time. It really just, yeah, depends on, on what your superpower is and, and making sure that you're doing as much of that as possible and as, as little of anything else. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So you're five years in. What happens in that hockey stick moment? Was it a celebrity? Was it an influencer? Did you just finally like get into the zeitgeist of the customer base? Well, before things got better, they got worse. <laughs> so the thing that happened five years in was, four years in was the pandemic. And it looked a little bit like that emoji growth chart where things are like starting to go up and then they take a dip and then they shoot up. And, and what happened for us, and I know that you've talked about this in your business as well, the pandemic just completely um, changed everything immediately. And um, it was very scary those first six or seven or eight weeks on every level, on an existential level, certainly as a small business in terms of our survival, it was really scary. But what it did, and I can say this now two years later, what it did is it gave us an opportunity to learn every single thing about our business, pare it down to the essentials, turn off anything that wasn't critical to it running, and 
build again and build differently. The biggest difference for us were those catalogs that you get in the mail now. And, um, you know, when I think about playing to strengths, one of our team's strengths is, is storytelling, words and pictures and um, bringing that to life for, for an audience at home. That's something that we do well. And catalog ended up being a wonderful way for us to re-engage customers who had met us online and also meet so many new ones. So doing a catalog is not um, for the faint of heart. It's extraordinarily expensive, um, at least when I've gotten quotes. So you're in you're in the height of the pandemic or just we're, we're just exiting it. The sales are not well. How did you convince yourself like, okay, this is going to be the right move to spend, you know, all this money on this activation? Like, what if it didn't work? You're speaking to my soul. The um, concern about cash out is something that as a, a founder, you you live with, especially when you you are self-funded or uh, when you're not, when you don't have tons of outside capital, because I'm sure, you know, you remember early days for, for your brand, you know, you'd stress about a $50 expense, a $500 expense, a $5,000 expense. There's no way you were going to make a $50,000 expense or $150,000 expense. And, and those numbers change over time as your business grows. But the thing that saved us was we had done a little test like little teeny tiny tests. Six months before the pandemic, uh, we did a small distribution test and it was, it w- I made so many mistakes. I shot the whole thing, Rebecca, on film, which is like not a great medium, especially if you're not a professional photographer. I shot the whole thing on film. I shot friends, friends of the brand, no professional models. And then I made a second book and I went out and stayed with Max, my co-founder in the Hamptons for the weekend. And we took some pictures in her backyard. And that was, so we made two books with the lowest, lowest cost, always believe in test before you invest, but the lowest cost possible. And we tried it out. And so when the pandemic hit, we were like, okay, let's dust off the results. How did those two catalogs do? We hadn't put a lot of pressure on them. We hadn't really studied them. And they gave us information. And that's ultimately like the most valuable thing sometimes you get. Sometimes it's not about the immediate revenue that a project generates. It's, it's giving you information that you can use to make a better investment and a better one and a better one. And then the catalog, when did you see it work? So September, um, September of 2020 was when we launched our first catalog. And we've, we've kept more or less the same model. We keep it very scrappy. I shoot our books and write the copy. When you say you shoot them, you, you're the photographer too? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. Yes. You can learn almost anything online. <laughs> I think that's and, amazing. And I think also, you know, if any anything, Founders know your instincts take you far, and and I love data. So um, you you could see this kind of picture, or this kind of styling, or this kind of crop, or this kind of palette works best. Okay, we do more of that. Oh my gosh, that works amazing! Like, and and you just kind of keep iterating. And so you're iterating, you're seeing success. So what is what does your outlook look like now, now that you're seeing this, you know, five years of hard work of doing so much, you know, I think people underestimate how long they're going to have to do 
every job. And I think like I was still doing every job 10 years in. Yeah. Um, what yes. is it? What does it look like for you now? And where do you want to take air? I love that you say that so much because I don't think that people see it that way on the outside. Rebecca, I think they think of, okay, your name is your brand. She's at the top of the heap. You know, she's the talent. She comes in and like, it's all done for her. And maybe she points and she chooses between two things and then her job is done or something. She's off to a fabulous thing. But um, it's coming up on 10 years. And yes, we're still doing every job. The difference is that the work we're doing is going farther. And that is like a huge incentive. And it's gotten to be a lot more fun we've tripled the business and now we're doubling it on top of that. And that, that is really exciting. And the thing that we're most excited about is bringing new product to more people. We have, Oh my gosh, we have this gene called the secret sauce that just launched this year and we cannot keep it in stock. It's the most comfortable thing in the world. Our whole team went to LA to visit the factory as it was being made actually. And it's, it's really exciting being in, growth mode. Oh my gosh. It's so fun. It's like this high, like recently our president, oh, she's now our CEO was like, everyone get ready. I feel a wave coming. It's going to be awesome. Get on your board. And I was like, okay, I'm coming. I love that she describes it that way because I get that swelling feeling too of like, there's anticipation and it's a restlessness when you, that you get in your gut when you know wow, the hard work is paying off and, and we're going through a big transformation. That I know that feeling. It feels so good. It feels as, as good as the bad moments feel bad. Spinning out the beginning of the pandemic, those were low lows. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I know you've talked about you have to celebrate the wins. Being in a, a phase of growth feels just as good as those moments feel bad. Totally. Totally. So what's next for you guys? I mean, you have more than jeans. You have uh, ready to wear. Um, yes. What's on the horizon? Yes. Um, we are looking at expanding our product and, and really bringing the brand to life in creating the whole world of air. That's the thing I'm most excited about. And I think that this fall, anybody who, if you come to visit air.com, AYR.com, or if you visit our Instagram, or if you're in LA or the Hamptons or New York and come to our store, what you'll see is just a fantasy room of the clothes you would live in. It's for anyone who values classic, timeless design. And the excitement that I really feel is around the product. It's always been around the product. And the product that we have coming is better than ever. Um, And I just can't wait. I can't wait to wear it. I can't wait to show it to people. I can't wait to get it on and never take it off. I love it. So what is some advice that you'd give to people listening that you've either learned the hard way or someone gave to you that you were like, all right, this is a good one. I actually have a key list and it's good. I I love it. I've got a list and I can't take credit for it. Um, One of the best things that we have done as we have scaled is we've hired an incredible chief people officer Um, And she, I asked her, what makes a good CEO? Can you give me a list? Because I need, I need like, I like, I like, you know, a North Star to look back to. And she gave me this terrific list. Number one, she said, is hiring. 
because people are the most important asset to a company and you've got to hire people that you trust and respect so that you can manage them with trust and respect. And the second thing she gave me, she told me is that uh, decisiveness matters. Decisions shape the organization. She told me you have to live in reality. You have to confront brutal facts. You can't avoid resolving tough issues. And then number four is sometimes the hardest one, honestly, which is be okay with not making everyone happy. Do yeah. whatever needs to be done for the team and the company. That one has taken, that took me a few years, honestly, to, to get comfortable with. And number five is tell the truth about the company performance. I loved her list because the idea of living in reality and not avoiding the hard things and having courage and conviction in your decisions are things that um, sound good and are really difficult to put into practice. I love those. Those are great. I love that you came prepared. Um. <laughs> My other favorite saying though was Mickey. Mickey would always say, hope is not a strategy. And I love that one. I, Ooh, I live by good. that one. That is really good. I think so many people are like, I hope it'll get better. Question mark? No, no. Hope is not a strategy. <laughs> oh, that's good. What would we be surprised to know about you? I think that the people I work with would probably be surprised to see what the off switch looks like. What does it look like? Oh, it looks like it looks like you know, um, summer house on an iPad in the bathtub, and after having a pizza on the couch, it is real off. Like the rest is as important as the work. And AY, AYR stands for all year round. The goal is to be able to keep and do things you love for a long time. Time is ultimately like the most precious thing. It's the one thing you don't get more of. Money comes and goes. Um, but time is, is you only get so much. So you've got to be able to shut off and create healthy boundaries and have that time to recharge the batteries at, if you're going to you know, be able to keep going for a long time. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithm. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again and you will hear from me next week.